Welcome to the Italian Wine Podcast. This episode has been brought to you by the Wine to Wine Business Forum 2022. This year will mark the ninth edition of the forum to be held on November 7th and 8th of 2022 in Verona, Italy. This year will be an exclusively in-person edition. The main theme of the event will be all-round wine communication. Tickets are on sale now, so for more information, please visit us at winetowine.net. Hello, everybody. My name is Polly Hammond, and you are listening to Uncorked, the Italian wine podcast series about all things marketing and communication. Join me each week for candid conversations with experts from within and beyond the wine world as we explore what it takes to build a profitable business in today's constantly shifting environment. Today, we're joined by collector, founder, and mentor, Quina Wong. Leveraging over 15 years of experience navigating the challenges of the consumer wine scene as a collector, Quina is now helping to build a new world of wine. With her organization, Curious Vines, she dedicates her time as a champion of fellow women in the UK wine industry, connecting like-minded people and building a community to celebrate and encourage its members. Let's get into it. Quina, welcome. Uh, You are one of these superstars whose name has kept coming up on my radar time and time again over the past few years. I'm so glad to have you here. Hello, Polly. Fantastic to be um, on this podcast with you. Yeah, I mean, my my profile um, has been raising, um, I think I'm just, I do so much work at a real low grassroots level and I think um, over the years there's just been some people who've been impacted positively um, with my involvement with them either from you know hospitality wine sites the sommeliers or even women within the trade or even the noises I make about women in the collecting sphere of wine as a myself I'm a fine wine collector so I guess because I have several hats and I'm not concentrated in one area I think it's taken a few years for me to sort of have that profile raised because it's just very much just very low key and a lot of hand holding and and just being sort of a woman who loves wine from every aspect. Wow. Okay. So I, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about curious vines. I want to talk about collecting. But um, uh, as we were saying just before we hit record, I did not realize that you're an Aussie. I know. Um, Will you still like me? <laughs> oh, I love it. Of course, because that's what happens. We go out into the world, you know, and, and we're siblings. It's only when we, um, uh, you know, when we are uh, uh, at home that there is any kind of rival. So growing up in Oz, I mean, I guess what I want to know is how'd you end up a wine collector? How'd you end up falling in love with wine? Because that seems like such a sort of, as as you know, from working in it, what an odd, weird thing to fall in love with. I know. Um, I am just very lucky. I mean, as an Australian, when I was growing up there, I left there when I was 25 and the wine back the year. I'm 51, Polly. I'm quite open with my age. I'm 48. Yes. High five. Well done. Just yeah. amazing. But um, I just, I uh, when I left Australia, it was an, an era of Australian winemaking where everything was extremely robust and, you know, there was oak chips within the Chardonnay. Everything was um, very fruit forward and ripe and, you know, not anything of um, 
that when at the time I didn't find enjoyable. And then I moved to London. It was, uh, you know, I was meant to come here for three years and um, stayed clearly for a lot longer. And it took me a little while to get my head around old world wine. And then I had this amazing sommelier who I met. Um, I had a staycation. I met at a restaurant and he was an Australian sommelier in London, still lives here still a really great friend of mine um, and he just made the wine fun. I must have been 26, 27 years old and um, just that whole like sommelier with the, the formal service and the arm behind the back and it was, I think it was the fun was because he actually had a broken arm. He'd fallen off his motorbike and uh, I had no idea about fine dining service being such an uncouth Australian and he put his arm behind his back to pull the first glass of champagne. And I just laughed thinking he was trying to hide his arm, which was in cast. And actually, I didn't realise that was part of the real formality of service was one arm behind the back and pouring pouring the bottle of champagne from the other hand. And I just laughed at him and was like, I can still see your arm, mate. Like, you know, like why are you trying to hide it? <laughs> As uh, youth and ignorance, uh, it all kind of boiled into quite a fun service. And he just laughed himself and just said, we're going to have a really fun time. And, yeah, but um, I, yeah. I have to jump in and say, even that story, fun and youth, not two words that we equate to wine in a, in a fine wine way, and definitely not two words that we associate with collecting wine. No. And, you know, but after that, it took, from that point, it still took a very long time to to get to where I got to, where I started to buy in cases and got the confidence to put more money behind wine that, you know, you weren't even trying the bottle from the case. And, you know, that that particular gentleman, he ended up leaving the floor. Um, you know, the smellery work is very tough on families, time-wise mm. and the hours, but also tough on the body. He ended up moving into uh, setting up a business, uh, uh, into a merchant business, and um, he said, come with me, like, you know, I'll teach you about wine. And I was like, no, I'm quite happy buying my sonser from the supermarket, <laughs> you know, from the shelves. And he just said, no, 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 your your palate's far too good for this. Like, we're gonna t- I'm going to teach you. So come early to the first tasting, and I'll tell you how to about, I'll tell you about wine. And it was that hand-holding. So I, I turned up like 15, 20 minutes before kind of the official start time of the tasting and he would take me through wine and he would give me the approach to wine that was, you know, there was no judgment um, and he just gave me a way to approach the wine and smelling and it's just the most daunting thing when you've never done it because you're actually for most people when they come into wine, they go, what do you smell? And you say, I smell wine. You know, that we yeah. It's it's a real skill, and it's we people don't realise that um, it takes training. It's like going to the gym with your muscles. It takes smelling, takes training to get to get the fragrances out of wine that you know people are looking for, and to then actually verbalise it is even the next task after that. Um, but he took me through it and he handheld me, and I was buying two bottles of this and two bottles of that, and I was looking back the most painful client for very little money I was spending and but because I was a friend he was you know he was teaching me um and doing it as a friend as well and then but you know he did win out in the end because after a couple of years he said you need to like you need to start looking at more expensive wine and maybe just Mm. um, storing it buying a case and storing it 
And I said, well, what do you want? Why, why do I want to buy, you know, a dozen bottles or six bottles and not drink it? And he said, because a beautiful thing happens to wine when you age it. And so he was the one that really encouraged me into it. And there was a lot of, you know, I started at a, a price point of £15 a bottle. And then, you know, over time, as I started to see what wine did as it aged, you know, the price point then increased. And then it was, you know, £20, £25 a bottle, £30 a bottle. Um, and it was that real hand-holding, like from a, learning from a friend almost, but he was part of the trade. Without that, I would... I don't know whether I would actually have been inspired to to collect wine the way now, you know, the amount of money I spend on wine and forego the shoes, forego the handbag and all the things that normally people might spend on on in a luxury goods arena. Um, it, all, all my money goes on to wine now. <laughs> wow. And we, we were talking earlier before we hit record um, that you have grown children. They're all of drinking age. Do do they share your love for wine? Is this something they've grown up in a home with, you know, a, an absolute baller of a collection, I'm going to assume? Or do they just look at you and they're like, mom, do the traveling, buy the handbags? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, they like champagne. Who doesn't? Mm. Their entry road into wine was Riesling. So I kind of went down the road, which is like, you do like wine. And then I started to give them some off dry things because when they were younger, the residual, the sugar in the wine is appealing. And who doesn't like downing a, a lovely straight laser in the summer sun out in the garden? And, you know, and actually as a parent, it's quite safe doing it as well because the alcohol level is much lower. And yes. so it's an easy way to introduce um, wine to the kit to the, to the children, and so they have actually they know Riesling very well. They look at the bottle, they see it's a green bottle. They go, "This is from the Moselle." Uh, they see wow. a brown bottle, they go, "This is from Nye." <laughs> so um, they they actually know Riesling very very well, um, um, mostly German, and they have then got into Champagne because that is now my big big love, big big love. I do everything but that's the bit that I spend most on um that's my big love too I adore champagne yeah I they haven't gotten into adore. red wine I'm not going to push it um tannins are difficult let them go through and have the journey with the university friends drinking something that's easy drinking with not much structure and very fruit forward let them let them have that journey but it's interesting their friends are very interested in when they hear that their mum is very involved with wine um, I get these pictures and these questions from their friends who messaged my children and then my children send it on to me. So there's a lovely kind of like auntie figure around sort of the younger. <laughs> that sort of We have an expert. We have an expert. I, I remember this wonderful story. And then we'll get back to um, collecting. My daughter was graduating from high school and one of her friends was considering becoming a sommelier because, you know, he didn't really want to go the university route. He wanted to work in hospitality but he wanted something that had a career path, you know, so he's being mindful about um, his choices. And I just remember he would come over to the house and go through all of the the wine books that we would have. I think in the end, he did not become a psalm. So I'm not certain how much that maybe we should have kept the books away from him for, for a little while. Mm. Um, going back to your friend, the Australian sommelier, it, the, the part of it that stands out to me is that you had someone who was welcoming. They were from home. It was non-judgmental. Do you feel like that that, uh, especially from what you're hearing from the community, that that is 
similar to what a lot of other women in wine at the time or um, women collectors might have been experiencing? I think I was extremely lucky, Polly. Um, my route into wine is very different to many other um, people, not just women, like so, you know, taking the gender aside from it. I think one of the big things about um, coming becoming a fine wine lover, and it's not just loving wine and, and buying, you know, being interested. I mean, there's so many wonderful people who are interested in wine, they know they probably know more great varieties than I do. They they go down to the fabulous independent wine store and and have a great relationship with someone there who, you know, is always feeding them something new. Um, the fine wine collector to jump into that space generally um, to encourage an uplift in spend per bottle um, because it does cost more money, and then to get your head around that once you drink the bottle, that money you've spent is gone. Unlike other luxury goods, which is you know, I can use my handbag several times. The bottle is gone once you've drunk it. But the, the special thing about wine is it's something that is social and it's something that you can share with someone. And this is the, that what that's what makes the wine world really, really special. It's a connection to other people and sharing of moment, creating of moments and sharing of moments. And as much as we do get geeky about the technical information, um, I think the thing that is missing for minority groups getting into wine is having a social introduction into wine. So if I was to look, um, London particularly is quite male-dominated in the fine wine scene. And But if I look at, you know, how the, the men come into wine, they've had maybe their relatives. So it might be their dad, their grandfather, their uncle, but also their peers. So it might be a friend who knows something about wine because his dad's taught him something about wine. or a So it might be a friend or a work colleague and they take them to a tasting and they start introducing them to labels. Um, you know, here's this Chateau Talbot. It's the most amazing thing. I really love it. It's a good approachable price point. We don't have that in sort of female friendship circles um, and uh, because there's very few women who collect wine to start with. And so because there are very few women who collect wine, we then are a little bit weaker to encourage the rest of women to be involved with it. And, you know, I think, I think that's where there is a bit of a sticking point is how do, you, how do you find, if you're not part of sort of a group of people that have um, someone in there that knows about wine and will bring you on that consumer journey, um, it's very, it's much harder to kind of, make your way in and so I guess many people they they try and take the study route so you know I've mm. met some amazing young women um recently uh, at a at another relatively new wine club called Plank in London uh it's a younger generation very intelligent great jobs one of them studying her diploma and she said you know I'm just really fascinated but if she doesn't get a social scene around wine she hasn't got a people to share that love or to even share her bottles with. Right. So uh, I think for me, it's, you know, I'm really looking at this space about, you know, the, 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 the gender imbalance in, in fine wine. But it's not just gender, it's ethnic minorities as well, because they've got the same issue that, you know, they haven't mm -hmm. got someone uh, bringing them in. 
it's a lot harder to come into fine wine collecting and into the fine wine social space where people are sharing bottles and, and coming in and having dinners and you know looking you know saying this look at this this is my new discovery or let's see how this is tasting now you know a couple of years on after it, with a few more years of age um, because it's that sharing the love of wine and the sharing of those bottles which actually makes it very very special I mean, you, you've touched on a, a few things that I'd love to explore. The first thing is, I think you're bang on with this notion. I, I actually have in my notes that when I go out into the world, when I'm in affluent wine spaces or spaces where collectors and, and lovers of, let's just say, more expensive bottles are going to be, the men predominantly are consumers, collectors, or trade, whereas the women are almost always trade. You know, like if you see women in a lot of these wine spaces, it's because somehow it is a part of our education or our income, um, which can lead to some interesting business challenges that we have in wine, which is where then we end up with our social circles are entirely comprised of people who are also a part of the trade. And I'm not entirely certain that that in itself is a really healthy balance for any of us. You know, we need our girlfriends who have nothing to do with wine, you know, our aunties, our cousins, whatever it might be, who we can also, um, we can also enjoy the food and the wine community with separate from it being our work. So I guess where I'm going with that is it feels like for a lot of the women who are surrounded by fine wines or, or more expensive um, purchases, we just live our whole lives around. We yes. don't get an escape. Yes. And I would almost say um, the diversity of my involvement with wine, firstly, as a, as a fine wine collector, but also, you know, I champion sommeliers because they also were a gender, you know, imbalanced. They're, you know, for, to, for, for women to stay on the floor, it's very mm -hmm. difficult, especially if they start to have children. Um, and then also in the trade because there is still gender imbalance there. But um, I, I almost suspect I have gone out seeking friendship, female friendship, and have found it away from the collector side because it's just so imbalanced. And so hence I've, I found myself in this position with a hugely diverse um, friendship group Um around wine from, from women from so many different spheres and and probably someone who has the, the most diverse network of friends and also a greater understanding of the industry as an entirety, whether it's from journalism, PR, merchants, SOMs, collectors. I seem to have managed to straddle lots of those spheres, but, you know, from a just looking backwards at it, I suspect part of that was because, you know, I was looking for friendship somehow where I'm not sitting there with a dozen men and, and I'm there by myself, and mm. um, which is how sort of on pure collector circles it can get like that. And, um, you know, it's it's been very rewarding kind of branching out into wider things outside of collecting and looking at how actually my position as someone very unusual in in that sphere can leverage my role and 
um, into having a positive impact somewhere else. Mm. I, I mean, I've always laughed and said that expats are such uh, a unique breed, right? Because you leave everything that's safe and secure, you go into a new space and you are forced to learn to create community where, you know, when you stay close to home and that community has always been there, you just inherited it. You don't go through that process. Um, and sometimes it's easy and sometimes it's hard. I mean, I, I'm in my second big go at being an expat now. And there are days that I think to myself, why in the world have I have I taken this on? Um, so I guess what I would ask is beyond just the the confidence of going out and seeking the community, which is something that you had. Um, what are the, what are the steps? What are the doors that need to be opened for women collectors, but really for anyone who wants to engage with wine at a, you know, higher, more dedicated level? Is it education? Because I, I know we have we have a big education push. We talk about relationships, we've got our communities, and then we've got representation. Like anecdotally from your community, what are you hearing is the biggest force for change in that? Um, so let me rewind. I, I mean, I've been, I've been kind of involved in trying to make a difference on the consumer side of wine uh, in, in uplifting kind of the representation of women at a, at a fine wine level. Um, and I used to, pre-COVID, um, must have been going for three or four years pre-COVID, I had set up Curious Vines. So Curious Vines, in its first um, iteration, as I had originally set it up, I had collaborated with merchants to say, look, there is an issue. I do believe that um, women are quite an untapped emerging market in fine wine. It is very niche, but it's, it's a sphere that I feel I can have impact on the planet somewhere um but um i really feel that just with a little bit more nurturing they the whole the, the, the fine wine industry would benefit in increasing revenue because it won't it won't be cannibalizing itself it will just be taking money from other luxury goods and that's how i see it mm-hmm. so i look at my own journey and I, my money went away from fancy dresses it's like, why well, I want to spend that much money on a dress when I can buy a case of wine. So that it's quite interesting, you know, with a bit of handholding um, and being inspired and, and being, you know, my passion ignited by it, um, the money was transferred. So originally the project was going out and doing tastings. Um, I networked very well. I mean, I, I used to work in the city, so I have networks within finance and friends in law and all these great um you know, arenas of professional spheres. If I look at mm. my male, uh, fine wine male collectors, many of them are in these brilliant professions that, you know, it pays well, um, intelligent. And um, and so um, we started doing uh, tastings for those female networks that were becoming very strong. So this must have been eight years ago, you know, hashtag me too. A lot of female networks were being set up in these professional, in these professions and so we were targeting and, and, and doing tastings with them and making it a, it was a female space, but it was a space where they weren't talked over, where they could ask a question without fear, that no question was stupid. And so there was automatically a different feeling. It was, it was, it was more familial. It was more nurturing and there was no judgment. And 
Um, so we started doing that. And, and all of the women just, they all took away some knowledge and experience because they were tasting and smelling and we were talking about it. And having two people co-present actually means you create a conversation, which is goes back to the point that wine is a, is a discussion. It's something that's to be shared. It's not necessarily just technical information that you learn as a person. And so this, that, that kind of demonstration of the discussion that I would have with, you know, uh, a merchant representative and we would talk about the wines and have differences and but that was fine. And so there was a real comfort level with that. Um, but I would say that, you know, when COVID hit, I probably had about 400 amazing professional women who just signed on to a different database to say we want to do more tastings and I would do that outside of their office and, you know, my under the Curious Finds tastings, mm-hmm. brand, they would come to that. But if I looked at that, you know, four years and the, the women who had actually converted into buying fine wine and had bought a case of wine, I reckon it was less than half a dozen women. And so the success of exactly what I was trying to achieve in that time period was not successful in a quantitative way. What was successful, I thought, was um, a bit of intel about some of the, the the barriers that why they're not making that jump. A lot yeah. of the time, um, a lot of it is also women don't cope with alcohol in the same way. Many of the professionals can't do like an evening dinner with lots of wine. And, you know, you need to expose yourself to wine constantly and taste to learn and learn and learn as, as a consumer. And, you know, I think they don't want to be having a big boozy dinner and then getting up for their breakfast meeting in the morning. Um, so, there, you know, there is there is a lot of that as well. And they're juggling a lot more. So in a period where they're actually getting, getting income rise with, with job promotion um, is a time they've got children and, they're you know, the money's going somewhere else, uh, bigger home and, you know, things with kids, private school fees. Um, Aging parents. Yeah. So there's just a lot of social systemic kind of issues that happen that women bear and, um, you know, I think that's that's when things started to pivot over COVID anyway. I mean, the COVID was a natural period where those tastings were forced to stop. I then started to do some things online for trade and for the Soms who were all at home getting depressed. So we would I started creating some online content just using my network of, of brilliant people and giving something for people to come and watch and participate in and see each other on a Zoom. And I stepped out, I did that for a few months. And when the rest of the industry started to do proper content, because I wasn't supplying wine, um, that was never my remit to supply wine. Um, but so when the rest of the industry had worked out within a, within, a, within a corporate structure, and they're not as hard or as mobile as a one-woman band like myself. So by the time they kind of got their kind of um, their head around how to deal with online content and webinars and, and things, then I stepped out. So I was a little stopgap there for people at home, whether it's on trade merchants or even, um, you know, sommeliers because all of hospitality was shut. It was uh, it was a way we were just trying to keep them going and keeping them seeing each other on a screen because it was Zoom rather than a webinar. webinar. Yeah. So, um, so, you know, but, but don't say it's a stopgap. Say you were a torchbearer. You were leading the way while we waited for all of those big corporations to come up behind us. To catch up. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was interesting. And, um, I guess, you know, it helped, it did raise my profile in hospitality and in, and in, uh, it all went by word of mouth. Everything I do is word of mouth, which is why I guess, 
it took a few years for me to hit your radar, Polly. So no, it's, it's fabulous. Really low. It's just everything's just done. It just goes on social media and, you know, who's told who. And, you know, by the last Zoom we did before I stepped out of that arena, we had 100 people on the Zoom and it was just, you know, and it, you know I don't have a formal position in the industry, but the people that were supporting me and providing the content were amazing sommeliers and um, people from the trade and winemakers. We had winemakers come on because they were they were also suffering from the lack of connection to the rest of the wine world. So um, it was it, it felt amazing to to put that on. Um, and well, what, what I think what I think is really noteworthy about this is there is now. Thank heavens, so much public discussion around what I describe as the grown ass woman around, you know, women who are our children are grown. We have our independent wealth that we can spend. We're not relying on, you know, the handshake from the husband of yes or whatever it might be to to go out and buy things. Um, We're starting businesses at a faster rate than any other section of the population. And in fact, we're even seeing that those women-led businesses are performing better on the whole, on average, than male-dominant businesses. So we are really this underutilized, underrepresented um, cachet of of money. If we, if we just want to get down to brass tacks, we are just this big all pot of money sitting here that businesses don't know how to talk to because for so long, the minute we could no longer have children, we were just relegated, you know, back into the house and back into the kitchen. So in that sense, what I would think is that this notion of being able to collaborate, to have women who do, you know, communicate between the big brands, independent brands, the merchants, whatever it might be, to reach those audience and to speak to them about the things that are needful for them would be invaluable to businesses. Do you have do you have them reaching out to you regularly now as yeah. influence and ambassador? Yeah, so it's it's interesting. So it's all very informal. I mean, you know, the, there's a lot of thought I think about, is this something that needs to be an industry um, kind of collective that works together at this? I think the thing is that people need to understand the difference with fine wine and other luxury goods is the margins. It does. It's actually a very low margin product. And compared to other luxury goods, and it doesn't, the wine industry does not have the budget that, say, you know, Cartier or, you know what I mean, that so these yeah. these great big brands have on, um, you know, servicing or reaching out to new markets. And so the marketing budget's just not there. And so um, I have got some companies that have, have come to me, you know, I'm having discussions, um, just giving them the intel from what I did with my original project about what my thoughts are on why, what needs to happen. And really the, the thing is about um, anybody, if you don't have people, uh, if your time's short, consumers learn about wine in a social setting. So the guys, who, the people who are in it, we, we learn more by sitting with other people at dinner or at lunch and there's no more bottles that are being opened and the person who brings that bottle tells you about that bottle if your time's short you don't have the time to do that or to be in or if you don't even have the inroads to get into those circles you don't have access so either you don't have access 
or you don't have time. So then what happens is that the women have been doing uh, WSET, so they will go for their level one, their level two, and I would recommend everybody to get their foundations right and do their WSET, the one or the two. When you start to get to three in the diploma, you're really asking for a little bit more time involved in doing those, um, and there actually is no other educational route for the consumer mm. um, to learn because actually for the consumer and the collector, we're looking at learning about producers. What do they taste like? What is it that that consumer do- that that producer does that makes it taste the way it does? So you know, for example, you know, we talk about whole bunch. You know, what is, the, sure. what is it, the impact, you know, and actually then learning who's a whole punch, who's a whole bunch can producer and who is not. Um, and so and then, you know, the confusion that actually some many of them are actually partial. <laughs> so, but it's that sort of learning you don't get at WSET, the producer learning and then the trends that are happening for consumers. And then what's happening is then the move in the market and the prices of the bottles that are always shifting as well. Uh, well, that was going to be one of my questions. Um, at, at what point did you move from I'm collecting because I want to be able to drink these fabulous wines forever and see how they evolve to I am collecting because this is a financial investment and you begin to watch the market differently? So I don't actually buy to invest. My investment happens as a default because I want to because I buy too much to drink. And nice. then what happens is that you end up having this, your mass this at the end of every year, I look at how much wine I have and go, do you know what? I cannot possibly drink all of this. I need to shift something because I'm going to, con- I know I will continue buying. It's like, uh, it's, it's your little shopping and retail endorphin kick. Mm-hmm. So you go to the shop, everyone buys something new and you feel great. You bought a new t-shirt. Well, you know, as a, as someone who buys wine, you still get that endorphin kick when you, you'd say, yes, I'm going to buy that case of wine. You get that you get that positive feeling and it's the most amazing feeling. So, you know, realistically being hooked on wine and being hooked on the purchasing of wine, um, I'm always going to be buying. But to enable that, we also need to be, I also need to be realistic that the, the amount of wine that I have is is too much. So I will buy and then I will look back and go, well, you know, I'm hearing these particular vintages are not showing as well further down the track than what they thought or these vintages were really rubbish vintages, but actually they're better than what they had originally been discussed mm. as. So what happens, you will buy, every, buy everything and then you look back and go, actually, now with some intel because, you know, a few years passed, I'm going to sell a little bit of that and sell a little bit of that and um, then I will continue my buying. And but go buy I- twice as much on the other end, which is really the part of it that we're not supposed you know, that, that we're not supposed to admit to. Absolutely. Um, I, I will tell a great story that has to do with champagne and the diploma. So I was never a champagne lover. I toasted my own wedding 25 years ago with port while everyone else drank champagne. And it was not until my husband was doing the diploma that suddenly we had like, I, I, I swear it was over a hundred sparklings in the house. You know, you're going through the sparkling module and he's forcing me to try all of them. He's like, no, 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 you, you'll find one. You'll find one. By the time he got done with that module, I was a champagne fanatic. It is my go-to preferred, um, you know, alcohol these days. 
And you're right. What it was, was no judgment. Although I know, you know, I'm lucky my husband was no judgment. That might not fit for everyone. Um, no judgment. It was, it was repetition. It was a lot of it because that's the other thing is that the number of times that I would try something once and be like, yeah. And he's like, no, no, no. You have to have more than one sip. You have to come back and try it again. Like there was so much concentrated learning in a really safe space with lots of exposure and the money was being spent anyway. So I didn't, you know, I'm certainly not going to go out and buy hundreds of bottles of champagne to do that myself. So I guess, I, I guess that comes back down to kind of the shopping habits of grown women in wine. We have a ton of data around how women in this professional band, sort of 45 to 55 are great lifetime value customers. Um, from your community, from uh, the hundreds of people that you talk to, what marketing is most effective for them? Is it tastings, tours, travel? Is it collabs? How do we tap into that audience better in a loving kind of way, not a manipulative kind of way? Yeah. So, but this is where the challenge is. And, um, you know, my original project did illustrate that to me. So even though I had people who repeated coming back to tastings, it's exactly what you said. It's repetition, 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 and then the penny drops, and then and then you're hooked in. It's not. It's it's one of those things you could, you know, market a brand to this this untapped market. And um, but the the issue is if they've not got the repetition where they're actually tasting it and they're experiencing it with people, then it's hard to get them to convert into buying, especially if you're talking fine wine. Mm. Because there is nowhere, you know, they buy, say they buy, you know, a case or a few bottles of very expensive wine, but they have no friends who perhaps they perceive would in, would appreciate that sure. sharing. They're not going to, I'm, you know, so I'm a little bit of a wine snob that way. So, you know, my neighbours who don't understand wine, I will open up my my village or some some great wine, you know, that for them, but it's not going to be my my top levels of wine. And so, if you're talking about at a fine wine level, there is a reticence to spend, you know, hundred pound, two hundred pound on a bottle more. I mean, you know, and, and then of course the decision is, well, where do you when do you open that and who do you open that with? So it goes back to lack of social scene for me and it's something that I have when I speak to some of these merchants that are talking to me and there are a couple of merchants now that are looking at what I'm saying and, and trying to piece that together is actually what they should be doing is if there are any women already buying cases of wine and our clients the problem you've got is that many of them say will have different sales merchants. So if you've got a large merchant and they've got, say, 10 female clients, but if they've got, they're all, you know, if they're all a kind of a client from a different sales representative, they don't, the women don't know each other. They don't mm. because generally the salesperson will do something with their, say, with their clients. So the women are isolated. They're these little islands. And I have said to them all, I said, you need to put us all together because we don't want to sit with a dozen men all the time. There are a dozen women in your portfolio of clientele. You just, but they're just with different salespeople. Right. Your firm. You need to put us together. You need to give us a 
non-judgment social space where where we feel more comfortable and we can do what the guys do. Now, there is a little bit of criticism with that to say I'm only recreating the existing scene but in a female sense. My view is, come on, guys, (laughs) 99% of the fine wine world is, is male. Give us a chance to exist and to survive. If you if we don't have somewhere to share these wines, they're going to be you know stop buy, they're going to stop buying. So I've got um, now some like you know thirty something mid thirties women that I found, and um, we're becoming friends and we're sharing the space. And they have just said to me, "This feels so much more comfortable." And you know I can't take away I I can't comment for them why it's more comfortable for them probably an age thing you know many of the collectors are middle-aged so there's an age gap um maybe it's the approach maybe they don't feel like they're getting the mentoring uh, that you get say sort of friend to friend maybe it's just being in a male-dominated space i mean who knows it'll be different for every woman but providing that social scene i think is really key for looking at um keeping those women and then no- making those the, the ambassadors to bring their friends in because it, it, it is all about bringing your friends in and learning through them. Someone has to bring, someone has to handhold you right. into the fine wine world. You don't just start spending lots of money on something that actually really is the, it's the product you can't try before you buy. I can try my mm-hmm. before I buy them. I can't. You can take it. it back if you don't like it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You can't really do that with wine. So it also requires a greater, stronger deal of confidence to make those sorts of large purchases at a fine wine level um, because there is no trying before you're buying. So it's it's a real, you know, to, to be in that space, you need compliment, con, uh, you know, need to be trying lots of bottles from other people and have a space where you're getting affirmation, talking about different vintages. What do you think about this producer? What's happening here, there? And what's happening here and 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 that that conviviality and social scene social learning that is to me is the space that really needs the work for that the sort of change i'd like to see so it's very slow rome wasn't built in a day polly <laughs> do you i i love this cuz we're really talking about an empathetic approach to marketing right we got to step out of everything that we think we know about our people and say how do we how do we show them love and respect and let them know that they're valued? I mean, this is the direction that marketing is going. Do you think that this is the space where women like yourself can start that conversation and say, hey, you know what? I would love to be able to get together and enjoy these bottles with other women collectors. Do you have any of them in your in your database you know is there any way i'll give you my number could you hook me up with them or or put together somewhere where all of the women who are on your role could get together and just really like seed that with your merchants because of the conversations i'm having um you know and i would i would give hats hands down like the, the first mover in all of supporting what i've been doing for many years as an individual but, you know, realistically, I can't change, can't move mountains as an individual. It has to come where there is, you know, a bigger budget and more support and supply of wine. Um, but Corny and Barrow are really making moves in doing things for women in wine. They've started some tastings, um, putting tastings together. They are also, um, you know, there's one particular sales lady there, and she's a woman, so she's, she's a young lady who, 
who it means a lot to her. The whole, you know, the the, the sphere of women and giving women access to wine, maybe because she's a young female and she she sees that it's actually very, very gender biased on the consumer side of wine. She's starting to make the moves, not just with her female clientele, she's trying to pull in the clientele from the other sales people so that the that these isolated women, the islands, the little islands mm. with other sales representatives, she's bringing them into the collective. So she's, you know, I've spoken to Connie's and I've spoken to her and she's listening to me. It's a, it's a long road because at the end of the day, you know, we probably will only have a dinner every three months or something like that. So it is a very slow, long road. But um, at least, you know, you've, you've got to start somewhere and um, where those friendships will start to be made and we can start bringing them into other spaces. So for me as well, um, I think also the difference is, you know, I'm not a merchant. There, there is also this whole kind of they're just merchants are just trying to sell to us. You know, there's a real sales pitch to this. Mm. Of course mm. there is. Um, but for me, you know, I like to role model what it is to be a female collector and, and the wonderful world of wine. So uh, at the end of September, I tell you, my third, you know, once all my children have gone to university, I've already got in. <laughs> the day after I dropped my last one to university, I'm taking half a dozen, dozen women with me to Bordeaux. And the itinerary is driven by me. It's not driven by a merchant. There is no requirement for a sale. The Chateau have supported um, the concept of being welcoming to a new style of um, collector that they normally don't see. So they normally see the women on the trade side, but they don't mm. see the women on a buy on a consumer side. So I'm all, already doing that. So there is part of me still kind of doing it in a different sort of way, but also the merchants, the soft kind of nurturing, providing social fun scenes and, and just doing this at a, at a repetitive, in a repetitive way. And you would only hope that they create more female collectors so that, you know, the, when the 35-year-olds become 51 like me. Exactly. Um, they are they are then, romp, you know, there are more me's that can go out there and say, yeah, this is the most amazing world. And I'm, I'm then supporting that softly with some of the trips that I'm and uh, things that I'm putting on for women that I'm meeting um so you know that's uh that's really important so that they're also meeting other women from between merchants as well so I have to be very careful because of course merchants don't want to lose clients to other merchants mm -hmm. I just want to provide a social statement so so there is no sell um and it's just a you know trips I've got a um in October I'm taking more women down to an English uh winery as well to be there when they're doing harvest so this sort of so this is for me my access. I want to open it up to bring groups of women where they don't have access or they're not in a group to join their friends who are doing something, you know, friendship circles that do stuff with wineries and things. So I'm trying to provide that social scene and that friendship circle to to keep them on that journey. Um, yeah, it's a it's a long road, but I, I think it's worth it to be honest. What a, what a fabulous segue. So now we have not really had a chance to directly talk about Curious Vines and the work that you're doing. What What's coming up? You've got your two tours coming along. What else is on the docket, Lena? So Curious Vines has most of the work now. It's done on the trade side. Um, so in the sense that I'm a real big believer that there are enough women in the industry who have confidence around wine and are really looking to make efforts on 
the gender bias in the industry. But having that ear also means I have the ear when I'm starting to do things for the consumers, for the consumer side. So although I'm still doing some things like taking some friends to Bordeaux and taking some to an English winery, that sort of access has happened because of the work that I'm doing for the trade because of what I represent. And there's a lovely synergy with the whole Curious Minds thing. So on the trade side of stuff, um, you know, I send out a regular email newsletter, which tries to bring, again, in a similar way, tries to shrink shrink the, the industry for the women that are there. Because again, sometimes they are little islands. You know, if you're a wine buyer, yeah. the only woman, you don't have someone. And we, we still get stories where the woman gets left off the buying trip. <laughs> and finds out when so once all the guys uh, are actually not in the office this still happens and so so what i'm trying to do is bring uh, the, the the trade and the industry from a real diverse background um of role as long as their job is something to do you know they could be a journalist um anyone that's involved with wine because that provides synergy so they're meeting people from the same type of role but also meeting people from different types of role um to create business synergy and to create what I would deem a more a broader, more well-rounded uh, person that can be very creative with what they do in the industry. Because you mentioned about women actually, you know, they're going out and doing their own thing. There are so many entrepreneurs out there, and so they have to be really creative with what they do. Uh, there was a, an amazing PR wine PR company lady, and she's she's collaborating with a book PR company, and it's called mm. Pairing Pages. So they're doing things together and working together and really thinking outside the box. And this sort of stuff happens when you're thrown in with a bunch of people who aren't doing the same job as yourself. But with that, it's a woman helping woman, that whole idea that's women supporting women. So Curious Finds now is very much supporting the industry, shrinking that. We have uh, shrinking it. So it's almost networking with an email as we're highlighting the amazing women in the industry and mm. we're getting familiar with who's in it in what sort of sphere. Um, it's being the platforms being used by companies who are trying to make gender differences within their own company. So we had a publishing house who came to me and said, look, you know, I we, we would like to increase the uh, female contribution, uh, writing contribution of articles uh, in our publishing house. And so we did an appeal out to the network there and um, she's had 25 responses and she said, can you take it off your email now because we've got too many. So in that sort of way, what we're doing is we're, we're you know, allowing that flow of resource, great resource within within it and allowing, allowing the women to be diverse, creative and flowing, intelligent, capable resource but across different subsectors of the industry. So it's for me that diversity of the portfolio of women in there is actually making uh, a great move. So then we have a couple of in-person things and a couple of workshops, which are really quite grassroots ones rather than in a professional sphere. I mean, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna provide professional content, but it's about, you know, talking about jobs or really soft skills that would help a job um, with, with any woman in in their role. Needful. Yeah. Of course. As I said, that's that's actually helping me as well do get the access I need to do what I need for the, for the consumers as well. So it's been, as I said, you know, women supporting women actually. So they've turned around and they're supporting me with what I'm doing mm. in the fine wine in the fine wine arena of consumers. Wow, that's fabulous! 
I'm so glad that I've learned about this. Thank you so much for coming on and talking about this. Polly. So, you know, otherwise it's just going to be too much for me to handle. I'll be I know. Overwhelmed. I, I know. No, no, no. That, that, that's completely fabulous. There are so many more questions I want to ask you. We haven't talked about, you know, boobs and wine. We haven't talked about the male gaze. We haven't talked about female executives. There are all of these things. So I guess I know that, that you said um, that you are an introvert and you're not super comfortable with the spotlight being on you, but I would love to now be able to pass the baton to another wine podcaster who's listening to us. Who's like, we've got an interviewer. We've got to talk to her about it because I think that there are a lot more stories hiding in there that we have not had time for today. Yes, and absolutely. And, you know, one of the big things that you, you had mentioned before was, you know, these this kind of the, this new evolution that's happening for, for many women at different ages. But my whole view is as someone who didn't fit in for many reasons in the male collector scene, my whole view is to anybody out there, which is, you know, if you if you don't feel like you fit in, you create a new sphere. It's like the mm. you talk about expatriates. You create your own world. You create your own universe. And so that's what I've done. So I've, cre- I've created this new universe for myself in the same way that I'm asking, telling other women, which is, you know, it's really tough in your world, but you can gain the support for yourself from other spheres rather than traditional ones. So you make your own, you make your own world and you can be a disruptor as long as you've yeah. got some support behind you, which I do. Because, you know, when you when you are doing things slightly differently, a very traditional industry in a in in a like an arena like London, which is very it's got so much history, ah, people don't like change. And so you're always gonna get a little bit of flack from from those who who are uncomfortable with this this person who they can't work out what they are. Don't rock the boat, don't exactly. things things don't boat, but, are done for a reason. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And actually, I think what I really do need to emphasize is that I'm, I'm not anti-man. I love men. And um, they, in, in, a, in an industry which is in a world where it is male dominated, they have to be your friends because actually they're the ones that will make, help us make the change. And so it's really important to understand that, you know, we can't go out there sort of saying, you know, you guys, you know, you make it so difficult for us. Well, Sometimes it's not their fault that the system is the way it is. It's just a little bit systemic. Yeah. And I think, Polly, I mean, ultimately, as much as we, we're creating female spaces, I would love to see the dream is that eventually we have uh, combined spaces where there is some sort of balance where we're both existing. So... Of course, I love going out with my gal pals and the guys go out with the gals, but wouldn't it be great if there was, you know, the, the, the evolution of what we're doing with all these new worlds and new universes is that the ultimate universe has been they all combine back together after all this work. So that's the dream. <laughs> that's the dream. I'm, I'm going to wrap up by recommending an interview that we did early in the year with the beautiful Diva Giles. So Diva runs a wine bar in Auckland um, that is, it's award-winning. It is so fabulous. She's 26. She's got a team full of young men and women 
they serve, you know, I, I think that they've got last count, it was like a $600, $700 bottle of wine on there all the way down to your glass pours, everything in between. And it really captures for me the hope that addresses what you're talking about. Because I look how she runs her team, how she communicates with her customers, just their whole ethos of business is different than what, you know, I grew up with. And I, I really firmly believe that they they are going to help solve this problem for all of us. Absolutely. So way to go, Gen Zers. Um, <laughs> on that note, thank you so much, Queen. I really, really appreciate your time. If people um, want to be involved with Curious Vines, either on the community side or on the tapping into your access and trade knowledge, how do they get in touch? I have a website. They can go on to that www.curiousvines.co.uk. So just fill in the form and it'll send me an email and then we can get going from there. That's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Have a fabulous afternoon. Take care. Great to chat. And that's a wrap. Thank you for listening and a great big thank you to Quina for joining me today. The Italian Wine Podcast is among the leading wine podcasts in the world and the only one with daily episodes. Tune in each day and discover all our different shows. Be sure to join us next Sunday for another look at the world of wine marketing. We hope you enjoyed today's episode brought to you by the Wine to Wine Business Forum 2022. This year will mark the ninth edition of the forum to be held on November 7th and 8th, 2022 in Verona, Italy. Remember, tickets are on sale now. So for more information, please visit us at winetowine.net. I'm Joy Livingston, and I am the producer of the Italian Wine Podcast. Thank you for listening. We are the only wine podcast that has been doing a daily show since the pandemic began. This is a labor of love, and we are committed to bringing you free content every day. Of course, this takes time and effort, not to mention the cost of equipment, production, and editing. We would be grateful for your donations, suggestions, requests, and ideas. For more information on how to get in touch, go to italianwinepodcast.com.